Are you a nonprofit professional who's feeling overwhelmed and burnt out? Well, welcome to the Lead with Heart podcast. I am your host, Haley Cooper. On this podcast, we will share stories of leadership, courage, and empathy that'll help you learn to take care of yourself, your staff, organization, and community. You will hear from nonprofit leaders who have been in your shoes and have learned best practices to raise more revenue and make a greater impact. Let's thrive together. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited today because I have Victoria Torres here on my podcast. And I will have to say I've probably known Victoria for at least 10 years. And she has seen me grow up in the nonprofit world. She's been an invaluable part of my journey to where I am today. And a little bit about Victoria. She serves as the Director of Community Impact with the Samueli Foundation, overseeing the foundation's work as it relates to the city of Anaheim, including capacity building, community relations, project management, evaluation, and reporting. Born and raised in Orange County, Victoria has been volunteering and working in the nonprofit sector for over 15 years. She is passionate about making connections that are strategic and meaningful with the intent of building strong relationships and partnerships. And I can attest to that. She is great at that. And she's also skilled in nonprofit management, which we're here to talk about today, team building, facilitation, evaluation, and talent development. She graduated from the California State University Fullerton with a bachelor's in human services and a master's degree in counseling. So welcome, Victoria. I'm so, again, I'm so excited to have you here. And why don't you start sharing your nonprofit experience and how you got to where you are today? I would love to. Well, first of all, thanks, Haley, for asking me to be on your podcast. This is exciting. I'm so happy for you and all the work that you're you're doing and growing and yes it's been it's been fun watching watching you <laughs> all those years back so my work in nonprofit has really stemmed since high school uh, i actually founded a club in high school and i think just from that experience i've just always had this little bug in me to lead and build and and grow and connect like even that club on campus, it was the mentoring program. It was about shadowing seniors, high school seniors would take on an incoming freshman and like show them the ropes and kind of just have that person they can go to and connect with. And it was because I had that person. I had a senior who lived around the corner from me and she just kind of organically adopted me because we, we both were on the softball team together. And I just remember someone saying like one time on campus, like, oh, you, you know, a senior, like it was a big deal, you know, to know a senior. And I was a freshman, like, yeah, she's my neighbor. And we were on the softball team. Yeah. Like big deal. But that like meant something to be like, that was my first indication of like, oh, it's cool to know people older than you. It's cool to just like be in the know and be connected. And so I kind of used that as my guide for creating that club, that new club. And that's really been my life is understanding this need for connection and social capital. Like it's all about our social capital in life. And I've just been really lucky and blessed to have come across amazing mentors and amazing leaders that have taken me under their wing, especially female leaders and guide me and coach me and not be afraid to tell me when I'm doing something wrong. 
and give me those hard lessons. That's really just what I think now I as a leader take with me and wanting to impart wisdom and wanting to give back the way things were given back to me. And just knowing that there are always senior level people that we always will look up to and aspire to. And if we can have access to them, then our, our growth will just skyrocket as well. So I want to be that type of person that like, I, I want, I want the freshman to look at me and go, Oh, I want to know her. And I think that's what I take with me into this, this sector and our career. Like, I don't want people to be afraid to approach me. I don't want people to be afraid to, to ask questions, you know, whether they think they're, they're wrong or right or dumb. I just want people to feel warm and welcome and, and like there's this space to grow. So that's kind of the essence of my leadership. And, and also when it comes to nonprofit management, like I just also learned very young, luckily about the difficulties we face in the nonprofit world. And, and even more so that's why we need good leadership and we need safe places for people to ask questions and not feel bad or ridiculed for it. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I know you're such a gift to me and I hope I can call you a mentor. I know that you have opened that space for me to feel welcome, to fail forward, to ask questions and not be afraid to take risks. And we both, I should have mentioned this in your bio, but we both serve on the board of the Orange County Nonprofit Professionals Network, and you're the board chair, and you have really encompassed this idea of mentorship and welcoming people and helping nonprofit leaders grow into this organization. And can you talk a little bit, I want to touch on, we're going to touch on mentorship and then also why it's important to create a welcoming experience for board members. So can you touch a little bit more on like what mentorship looks like? First, coaching, because those are two different things, and also why it's important for either new board members or new staff members to have a buddy on their team. A great question. Mentorship versus coaching. I always, some, and sometimes they blend, and that's okay. And I think, um, so I have both. I have coaches in life, and I have mentors in life. And the coaches, for me, a coach is someone that I go to and I'm asking for something very specific. Like I really need some coaching and guidance on X and it could be a skill I don't have. It could be the way I work with someone or the way I'm trying to work with a staff member, a board member. Like I really need some coaching and advice in a situation. Mentorship is more of this like personal relationship. Like I can be raw and very vulnerable with someone to really understand like, am I doing the right thing? Am I on the right path? Or is there another area I need to look deep inside myself? So mentorship to me is, I think about the people in my life who weren't afraid to say, Victoria, I think you're doing this wrong. Or Victoria, you know, have you looked in the mirror, you know, on that one? Or, you know, someone who isn't, or or someone who's just looking out for me too. I've had mentors that I, I, I'm at a job and they send me a job posting and they're like, you need to apply for this. Something that I would never have thought of even considering. And they're like, you're ready, do it. Those to me are, are mentors. Like they're looking out for you. They're always thinking about you and they want the best for you. So 
I have both and I, I've been both for different people at different times in their life, in their career. That is important both in the organization when it comes to staffing, but then also when it comes to the board. And it all starts with onboarding. I'm a big, big, big believer of onboarding. How you onboard staff and how you onboard your board is crucial to an organization's success around the culture that is built. Because if you bring on a new staff member or a board member and they don't know where to start, they don't know where to look, they don't know what to do, you're going to lose them very quickly. Or they're going to get indoctrinated into this wrong way of doing things very quickly. So I believe wholeheartedly in onboarding. It was actually, and I learned this from my one year in corporate life. I spent one year in the corporate world and I created a hundred page manual just for one department and one specific position. And because that position was so crucial to the organization, if this role didn't know what to do and where to go find things and how to do their job, it then there was this domino effect that happened within the company. So that's how serious the corporate world takes on being uh, new individuals. So it's paramount that as leaders, we start our staff and our board on the right foot because otherwise we'll lose them. We spend so much time recruiting them and hiring them. We should spend just as much time and energy and money onboarding them. Hey there, podcast family. If you're like me and deeply committed to improving your leadership skills and fostering better connections with your team, I've got something truly amazing to share with you. I'm proud to introduce the EMC Masterclass, something I talk about often as a certified trainer. It's an incredible program developed by the renowned Dr. Lola Gershfield, an organizational psychologist and corporate emotional connection expert. You might remember her from a podcast episode where she shared invaluable insights into the world of emotional connection. Dr. Gershfeld's EMC Leaders courses are designed for anyone working with people, whether you're a manager, supervisor, team leader, educator, coach, mentor, or a team member. This program is truly for everyone looking to enhance their communication and collaboration skills to raise more revenue for their mission. Now, let me tell you why the EMC Masterclass is a game changer. Dr. Gershfeld's groundbreaking emotional connection process has been integrated into top universities' curriculum and recognized by international organizations like ICF, HRCI, and SHRM. Humans are wired to seek emotional safety, and when we feel safe, we're more likely to take risks, share innovative ideas, and collaborate effectively. The EMC process is the catalyst for creating that emotional safety within your team. The virtual EMC masterclass consists of eight modules with four hours of expertly recorded material, 13 quizzes to reinforce your learning, and a workbook filled with activities for offline practice and something I still refer to daily. Ready to become an emotional connection master? Dr. Gershfeld is offering an exclusive detail for our podcast listeners. Use the code LEADWITHHEART to enjoy a generous 10% discount on the EMC Masterclass. 
head over to emcleaders.com and enroll in the EMC Masterclass today. I think you touched on an important point because I feel like a lot of times in nonprofits, we're kind of just thrown into the water and told to sink or swim. And I know that I've sat on boards and been in organizations where, you know, I was brought on board, but didn't really understand why I was there or wasn't really welcomed. And I've also had people reach out to me and be like, Mm -hmm. from these organizations, be like, what do I do? Like, where do I start? How do I like, I, and then you, th- that imposter syndrome comes up, right? Because you're questioning right. why you're there, if you're good enough, if you have value, because you don't even know where to start. And, you yeah. know, I've been given an Excel spreadsheet and been like, here, go have fun. And I'm like, okay, well, I need a little bit more information on back mm-hmm. history of the organization and the donors and, you know, the purpose of the organization. So I end up asking a lot of questions. So can you give a little bit more into, and I know you've done this really well with OCMPN with onboarding and it's provided a lot of value into the structure and how the organization operates. So what are some keys to onboarding and making sure that people really do feel welcome and prepared to do their role? First off, it's nice to have a central location where all of your documents, you know, the most important documents that help an individual understand the organization is readily available. So with OCNPN, one of the very first things I was trying to assess is where do we have everything? And we had a lot of things in little places or worse, we had things in other people's personal folders, Mm -hmm. which is like my biggest pet peeve because when that person says peace out, so are those documents. And so are those protocols and so are those relationships and those connections, like everything just is gone when that person is gone. So it's very important for an organization to have a centralized area, document, SharePoint, whatever, whatever you choose that is accessible to any staff member or board member. And I'm not saying every single document that exists, just certain key documents. So with OCNPN, the minute you join a committee or the board, you get invited to a Google Drive folder. We, we use Google Workspace and we invested in it. We actually pay monthly for this function and this feature. And so you get a, a welcome folder. And in that welcome folder is at least eight or nine documents. And one is just welcome, welcome to our committee or welcome to our board. This is who we are. This is how we do things. This is our culture, our mission, statement, vision. In there, there's a document. If you're in a committee, there's the charter. The committee charter is in there. So you know what this committee is about, what the role and purpose of the committee is, so you're not lost. So these are all things that the minute you say yes, right, the minute a board member says yes or a committee member says yes to being a part of your organization, they don't have to wait around for a meeting. They can get this folder, click on it, and start reading and start learning on their own, which you want because you want them to be engaged right away. It's really volunteer management 101. We learn <laughs> it's the same thing. Same with staff. So with staff, you know, the first day at work, oftentimes you just get stuck, you get a manual stuck in front of you and you got to read through the manual, which is fine too. Uh, but having purpose around like where to start, start here and then we'll have a conversation, right? and so on. So with boards though, that's really crucial because this is volunteer and this is outside of their, their everyday, you know, their role in life, whether they're 
you know, a working individual, a consultant, or they got multiple full-time jobs, or they also, you know, they got a family. This is extra. So you want to give them things that they can do at their leisure and take their time with it in bite-sized pieces. That's part of it. Asking yourself, what are those documents? We have a document in there of like contact lists. We have an FAQ document, like how to talk about the board, how to talk about the organization. We also have an org chart, right, of our organization. Just easy things for people to read and digest. We also have a learning path document, trainings that we think would be helpful. A lot of them are free, like we use Nonprofit Ready. So these are like additional learning things that board members can do that are going to help them in their role. And then we also have an orientation that hopefully they've already seen, but we have a, a recorded orientation that we provide to them. Though so That's all in the welcome folder. And as they're going through it, they are able to reach out to their actual mentor. So we have a rule on the board. If you, whoever nominated you onto the board, they are default your mentor on the board as well. So if there is a question you have, or you don't know where to find something, or you're just not sure, you first go to the person that, that brought you into this organization. And that also puts accountability on that person to also know what's in the Google Drive. And that's kind of like getting into succession. But that's a big part of onboarding, identifying someone that a new person can reach out to for questions that's not the board chair or a leader that maybe they'll feel nervous to talk to, they should be able to ask the person that they've already had a relationship with. And hopefully that's the person that nominated them to the board. So the same works too at staff. You know, I remember I was part of one organization where we had pre-set up lunches for the new person coming in. So that person knew every day for the first week, they were going to have lunch with someone. They weren't going to eat lunch alone. And that could be in the break room or that could be out, you know, out and about, and they would meet people from different departments. That's a, a big piece. You want to make sure that person is, is feeling like they've got information they can start to digest, but then a safe place to go ask questions. Yeah, I love that idea of informing them, but also giving them a person they can talk to in case they're confused and not, not feel bad about it. I wanted to touch on another part, and I think a lot of times nonprofit turnover happens because there is no trajectory for growth within an organization. There's no opportunity for personal or professional development. And within OCNPN, you've created both. So I want to talk first about the trajectory to become a board member, because I think it's so important in the aspect of both board leadership, but also within nonprofits as a whole to give that trajectory of, if I start here, it won't be there forever. I have opportunity for growth and also providing them the learning path to be able to do that. Because I know in my own career, I've been told no for a higher position, but there was no opportunity for me to grow into that position. It wasn't a, this is the steps you need to take to get there. It was, no, you'll never get there. And so I think OCMPN, and I had to find my own way to create my own learning path to be able to get to that position. But then OCMPN, you are providing that trajectory of growth. So can you touch a little bit on that and why it's so important for boards and nonprofits to provide that for their people? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. So I am a big believer that you don't just join the board. 
you work your way onto a board, just, just like you work your way up in roles, you also work your way up onto a board. So at OCNPN, my biggest thing with this group was, you know, we're, we're twofold. One, we're a networking org, but the bigger thing that we do for, you know, I believe is the experiential learning. In order to be a part of that, you have to actually get involved and experience these things. Everyone that is on the board right now was previously a part of a committee or was kind of grandfathered in from our previous org. But we have this rule where if in order to be nominated to the board, you are nominated because you were seen as somebody that was not excelling. It doesn't, it has nothing to do with skill, but it has to do with, you know, just your passion and love for the chapter and what we do and your investment. It was about your time and investment into the chapter. So people are on a committee first and then from the committee, they work their way onto the board because the committee is really like that testing ground for, you know, what is this person about? Do they think strategically? Do they think long-term? You know, are they someone who could really bring that added value to the board for that strategic purpose and direction? Because committees is where the work, well, actually work happens outside of meetings. Committees is where a lot of that delegation and thought happens. And then the board is, is where that long-term vision and thinking is going on. So when you have good committees and task force, then you will have a good board because those people funnel up into, into it. And then when you're on the board, the leadership opportunities are being a co-chair of a committee and, and then a chair. So we want to make sure that we have that succession and that knowledge passing always going on. Being on the board is one thing, but then taking on a leadership role within the board by being either a co-chair or a chair of a committee. And then all of our chairs sit on the executive committee. So you then get an entry point into that higher leadership group that, that, that talks about recruitment and succession and the health of the, the chapter. And um, how do we make sure that, you know, when we move on, this vision and mission moves on. And then for those who want to really, really grow and step up, we've got, you know, being the incoming chair, which leads to the board chair and then past board chair. And every single role has a different set of duties and a different set of oversight so that you're always getting experience. Like every year you're getting a new, you know, layer or set of experiences. And then we have our officers. So we have the treasurer and we have the secretary, which are very specific roles and offer another, you know, array of skills and leadership opportunities. And those are all rotating. We, well, I should say, you know, last year was very intentional around who needed to take on new roles for the sake of the chapter. We can often get very, I think, especially with boards, especially working boards, we can get very comfortable with the same person in the same role for as long as they will do it. And then they, and then what happens when they leave or they can no longer handle that job or, or we want to say this happens. I see this a lot. We want to say goodbye to them, but we don't know how to say goodbye to them (laughs) because they've been doing it for so long and we're, we don't want to hurt their feelings. So we make sure that you're not in a role for more than two years. And if you are, then you will kindly be asked to take on a new role because we want you to grow. This chapter, what we do is about growth. 
It's not about remaining stagnant. And we also want to make sure we're giving new life and new opportunities to other people. So I tell my board all the time, you should not be here in four years. Like you should be rotating off, doing something different. And if you want to come back, great, or join a committee, awesome. But we are not here to be the the group for the next 20 years. Like we need to add new people and you will eventually roll off. Yeah, I love that idea of both experiential, the experiential learning piece, because people are really understanding and learning how boards operate and how they should operate and also getting the skills to be able to do it because they're putting it into action. You touched on a few things. You touched on both succession and delegation. So first, I want to talk about delegation. And I know that's really hard for people to do. People tend to just want to do it themselves because it's easier. But I know as chairs, and obviously incoming board chair, chair, delegation is a key part of being a leader and allowing other people to help do the work and feeling a valuable part of the process. So can you talk a little bit about delegation and baby steps people could take towards doing that? Oh, it's hard, Haley. It's so hard. So delegation, I like to think of is, you know, it's trust. It's it's the speed of trust, right? There is a lot to be said about the speed of trust. When you delegate, you have to first kind of have this internal discussion with yourself of, okay, you know, well, I do. It's like, okay, Victoria, if I let this go, what's the worst that could happen? (laughs) And then like grappling with your brain of like, is that okay? And with with this particular group, or or I should say this um, project in my life, the whole reason why I dove into OCNPN is because this is a space that is needed for exactly this, for people to feel safe to test out these skills, one of which is delegation, because a lot of us haven't been in positions where we even have a team to delegate to. If there's any place that you want to let go or practice letting go, like we are the place to (laughs) to test it out because you're given that permission to let go. So on a committee, you're doing the work. And so it's really important for people. And it was important for me to understand like, okay, I'm actually at a place now where I have people that also believe in this mission too. And I have to trust that they care about it just as much as me. And as long as I feel that, and I do, as long as I feel that in my people, that they care just as much about it as I do, then that should be enough. If you don't feel that, then that's probably why you're not delegating. If you don't feel like the people you have around you don't have the same passion for it, well, then yeah, you're going to have a tough time delegating things because that's really what the fear is. The fear isn't that they won't do it. The fear is that they don't care like you do. And so that's one thing to assess in yourself. Have I surrounded myself with the right people? And when it it comes to nonprofits, it's have you hired the right people? Are you hiring for skill or are you hiring for that passion and that love for the mission? Because the skill should be taught. The skill can be taught, but sometimes it's that, that passion too. And yeah, I know there's trepidation around, well, I don't think they can do it. Okay, well then provide them the training, the coaching, provide them with what they do need grow that skill. There's tons of trainings out there now. There's tons of ways to go and, you know, get that. So the baby step, I think, first starts with you asking, looking in the mirror and asking yourself, 
why is it hard to hand this off? Because it's probably not about them. It's more about you. And then start with baby steps in, in start with little things, you know, start with something as simple as running a meeting, like saying, you know what, I'm going to take a step back from this one. You handle it and see how they do. And so slowly working your way up to that trust, it's like delegating, but you're still there. But then some things you just got to literally let go. You just got to know that, you know what, I trust Haley. Maybe she's not going to do it exactly the way I'm going to do it, but that's not important. What's important is the end result. As long as the end result gets done, then it was a success and delegation was worth it. So yeah, I always say delegation is less about the person you're delegating to, and it's more about you and your ego. And we just all have to check our ego from time to time. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I, I always find it interesting that in leadership courses, they never really talk about that personal development piece, at least from what I've seen. It's more, and I think, like you said, that's such an important part. Sometimes you have to check yourself in your own leadership and like the resistance that's coming up in delegation to really question what's coming up for you. So I want to touch a little bit on succession because I know that's such an important piece to you and something that you advocate and help with a lot with other organizations but a lot of nonprofits don't prepare for this or don't do it well. And so what are some, and I know a lot of succession will be happening with founders, especially after the last two years and doing a lot of introspection, just the times that we're in. I've just heard a lot of founders starting to kind of question if they're going to step back, but they don't have a plan on, you know, how to carry their organization and their vision forward. And also, like you said, let go. Because I think that's the hardest part. It's really letting go and stepping, taking a step back and letting other people, you know, run the show and take your vision to an, hopefully another level. Yeah. So can you talk about some, again, baby steps or <laughs> I feel like have got to ease people into succession or even the idea of succession because it is kind of daunting, like where to start? So much like the other question, it starts with you, the founder or the person who grew something. I mean, so I can only speak to where I started and I started with the end in mind. I always love starting with the end in mind. And it also, you got to build it as if you are going to let it go. So I think too many people build something and they build it in a way that they build it around themselves and they build it around their strengths and their values and their core. And so then, yeah, it is hard to walk away. Because you really do start to believe and think, oh, only I can do this. And again, that's on you. And so I was very, very intentional and clear with myself, like, Victoria, you can't do this forever and you're not going to do this forever. And so I'm on, I'm always thinking, and I know you hear it all the time. And I actually love that Maria Elena kind of reframed the, the statement of, you know, if you win the lotto today, you're not coming back tomorrow probably right because you're like peace out I got I'm done I you know I'm a millionaire I'm moving on what happens you know what happens to the organization that you built beyond you and so you have to think of it from that mindset of how does this live on past me because that's legacy legacy isn't what you've built while you're here legacy is what stays you know after you've moved on And I 
I want to see this, this chapter, you know, 20 years from now, I want to like come back and, you know, go to a networking event or do a speaking engagement and know like, oh my gosh, it's still here. And I was just, I was just, you know, two or three years of this organization that's now been around for 25 years. To me, that is success and that's legacy and that's succession. So, so that's where it starts is asking yourself, you know, what, how am I building this to pass it on? And then what are the little pieces within the structure that you're building to pass on knowledge? So I shared a little earlier, I'm, so I'm the board chair and it starts with who I select as my incoming chair. And I, you know, <laughs> was lucky enough to, to have you on the board and select you, Haley. And so it's make, so now it's making sure I right now am writing things down and documenting things that are going to help you, which really is about not, not skill and not like, like tasks and duties. Really, it's about my care and appreciation for you and the fact that you said yes to this position that I once had. I should feel so honored to hand it off to you that I want to leave it in a way that you feel like this was, this was a blessing. It wasn't a burden. Mm-hmm. And so many times people come into roles and it is a mess. And it was a mess because the person before them was like burnt out and didn't care anymore. And so, and right. And we, we, we get burnt out in nonprofit and we're just like, I just can't wait to be done with this, this volunteer role, or I can't wait to be out of this. Like just like this place is a mess and I just want to be gone. That's so sad to me. Like that really breaks my heart because then you're not leaving. You're, you're just leaving something for somebody else to figure out. And I don't think that's fair. So if we want this chapter or any organization to live on, we have to leave it better than what we left it. And so all of us have an obligation to document, to, you know, to not half-ass it, (laughs) to, to save things and to, to leave notes and to leave suggestions and tips and tricks so that when the next person comes on, it's not as hard, you know, it's not as you know, it's not crazy. And, and we also, and this is something so, 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 so key in my life is we have an obligation to share. We have an obligation to um, pass on knowledge and pass on, on learning. So within our board, like everyone should, and I think does feel safe to reach out and ask questions to me, to you, to Becca, if she's available, we really want to embody this culture of safety and and question asking and sharing. And sometimes the only way that happens though, is if you do have a protocol in place where people know who to go to. So it's very clear that a co-chair talks to their chair, the chair has the board chair or the incoming board chair. Like we have it written who you should feel comfortable going to ask for questions to give you that knowledge. But if you don't have that written down or you don't have that known or or spoken, then people don't know where to go. Um, so you have to, you have to document like documenting is, is important. And I, I know we get lazy sometimes and we just forget to document, but that is a big part of succession is writing stuff down. Standard operating procedures. I love SOPs. <laughs> Speak my love language. <laughs> so 
SOPs are so important. If you want good succession, you got to write standard operating procedures. People know need to know what to do and how to do it. Yeah, totally. I always remember the day I told my boss that I was pregnant, I claimed with a plan. And I was like, here's mm-hmm. this nine-month plan. Like, yeah. I didn't, obviously, I told him after my first trimester, but I remember like sitting down, he's like, why are you giving this to me? And I'm like, because you have four months to like, you have four months to work with me to find the people that can implement this plan. But also like with fundraising, we all know year end fundraising happens from the beginning of the year. Like you have to plan accordingly to be able to be successful. So I was like, this is what we need. And he was so astonished that I came, I mean, I'm a planner. But then it came with the whole plan written out of like month by month, this is what needs to happen. Yes. But I think that planning and setting that person up for success that walks in is so important for them, like you said, to feel valued, to feel cared for, to feel appreciated, and to be really, you know, that firm foundation that they can succeed. Um, and I think you also touched on another important part of, you know, where people can ask questions. And I will preach this over and over again is creating an emotionally connected team an emotionally safe environment where people can voice their fears and needs and know what they need to have a positive connection and be able to ask questions without fear of judgment and have that vulnerable space. And I think that's an important part of a culture, which I also think you have incorporated into OCMPN. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. It's a yeah. Succession and succession. I want to also add it's not just within the organization. Like it's just within our sector. I mean, to me, succession and mentoring go hand in hand. Succession, mentoring, coaching, they all go hand in hand. We all have an obligation to pass on knowledge to the next generation, especially in nonprofit, because in nonprofit, really your mission, everyone's mission in nonprofit is serving the community. We all have different you know, angles and different impact areas. But at the end of the day, we are public charities built to serve the community. Therefore, what you learn is not yours. It's the community's. The money you raise, the data you collect, everything you do is not like your, you, not yours, meaning you, the person, or even the organization. It belongs to the community. And so we are obligated to pass that on to the next person taking our spot. You know, we're, you, we should all be obligated as program officers, program or program directors, funders, fun, you know, and fundraisers to hand off the knowledge and the relationships for the sake of the community. It's greedy to hold on to that as like, oh no, I built this. So, you know, like y- you figure it out. Like, no, I shouldn't have to figure all of it out because then the community suffers as a result of it. And that's not fair. So we all, all of us should be thinking about our succession plan for life. Well, you've heard it here today. So (laughs) it started (laughs) on building that succession plan. And thank you so much, Victoria, for being on here. Is there anything else that you want people to know or think is important about, you know, building board and nonprofit leadership? Um, no, I think, oh my gosh, you asked such great questions. And I feel like, oh, I got to say everything. But I, I think, I think at the end of the day, what I want people to know, given the point in time we are, you know, especially in this post COVID world is the landscape is changing and people are 
wanting to do more and help more. And so it's on us as nonprofit professionals and leaders to ask the right questions to connect one another to, to those missions and the greater good. And what that means is that person that you're talking to, they may not be the right connection for you. And so, again, I feel like there's also an obligation to connect them to the right mission. So, and I know this is a fear too that happens often in nonprofits is we just, we find a good contact or a good person and we want to keep them to ourselves, but they may not be right for the mission. You should hand them off to someone else, like connect them to someone else and trust that that connection will come back, you know, tenfold. So that's the other piece to succession and growth and leadership that sometimes the person that it's in front of you isn't for you. Therefore, another mission down the street, but just pray that someone, someone will, will send you someone right for you. And, and then we all will also be better for that as well. So that's also a part to it. I want to add. I think we're going to have to have a whole nother episode on collaboration <laughs> and working together and yes. collective impact. So I'm definitely going to be inviting you back. But thank Let's you, Victoria, for being here. I know you're such a gift to me. I will say it over and over again. And you're Thanks. such a valuable part of my life, my professional journey, investing in me as a working mom. And I'm just so thankful to know you. Oh, thank you, Haley. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for God bringing us together. I really do believe that he's mm-hmm. always at work. And I always know that I'm in, in good company when I'm around people like you. And so thank you for, for doing this. And thank you for everything you've taught me. <laughs> if you have valued these stories or learned something from what you've heard, please share this podcast episode or follow me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for your support and together we can build a better community and world.